Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Chad Parks with me. Chad is the founder of the Online 401k. His company of 50 employees is helping over 4,000 businesses with their retirement. Welcome. Hi, George. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here, Chad. Can you tell our audience about the online 401k and how you help entrepreneurs with their retirement, what the business is about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it's hard to believe that I started the company way back in 1999, um, right when the Internet was coming along. And um, I did that out of my financial planning and investment management practice because I would work with a lot of small business owners in that capacity and would help them with their overall financial planning, including retirement planning. And one of the big pillars of retirement uh, retirement planning is to have a retirement plan in place so that you don't spend tax dollars unnecessarily and that you have a good vehicle or accumulation over your lifetime. And um, most of my clients at the time didn't argue with me. They said, sure, go find me a plan. And so um, I went to market as that independent advisor looking for a turnkey solution for my small business clients. And lo and behold, I didn't find anything that met my needs or their needs. And then with the Internet coming along, I saw this as a great opportunity to sort of level the playing field and create a new business model in the retirement savings space that would be able to serve small businesses regardless of their size and regardless of their assets. So you have uh, started the online 401k in 99. Have you had other business ventures prior to this one? Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm one of those, I guess, serial entrepreneurs uh, that they call us. Um, I, uh, you know, I was the kid who had the newspaper route and the lawn mowing business and the car detailing business. Um, I had a real job for a while there uh, in high school and college, um, and then I also, uh, prior to this, uh, in grad school, I published a menu guidebook to San Francisco City's restaurants, and then I also, um, prior to the online 401k, that was my independent financial planning investment management practice. And I've got to say, I've had a few hobby businesses along the, along the way on the side with this one as well. So those other businesses prior to the online 401k, were you making a living with those businesses or they were kind of like uh, side businesses? Um, you know, those those when I was a kid were just more like side businesses. Um, but the financial planning practice and the other businesses that I've had while um, running this company have definitely uh, made money. Okay. And so how much of your business was online back in 99 when you started it? Well, um you know, we had some local clients in the San Francisco Bay Area, and um, I had built a website because um, I wanted to be able to have something that was a leave behind for me uh, that would represent me when I wasn't on site, you know, to help them enroll their employees and educate them to sort of just replicate me. And so we started with that, and our local clients um, started using it. And I was not the third-party administrator slash record-keeper at the time. I was merely the advisor on a plan, and I was using other people's administration and record-keeping. And my clients liked that so much that they said, hey, can't you do the rest of it? And, you know, we don't really like this other part of it, but we like what you have. It seems pretty cool, pretty advanced. And so that's what really drew me into the space. And I said, okay, well, you know, what really is going on here? So it didn't take us long um, from that, uh, from, you know, 98, 97, 98, to then say there's something bigger here. And um, so we committed to that at the end of 99. And um, basically all of 2000, uh, for the first nine months of 2000, was when we um, committed to taking our you know, sort of light approach to a more institutional quality backend and we began engineering it full scale. 
And so by the end of 2000, we were fully online. So when you when you started uh, your business, did you have a partner or did you go alone? Uh, we I had uh, my my wife at the time was one of my co-founders. Um, that made it convenient since being an entrepreneur, as your audience knows, um, you know, having family support is very important. And um, we also I had an attorney friend um, who had helped me with some contract work with um, some of my other businesses. And um, you, know, you got to remember, we were we were all sort of getting the dot com fever and he was looking for an opportunity. And so um, he we needed a lot of legal work and things in the early days. So he came on as a co-founder and helped us uh, as well. So, uh, excuse me, I read one of your interviews that your company took off and really kicked ass with the small business audience. So what what did you do right? What were the things that, that resonated with the small business audience? Because you're in a very competitive area, and there are a lot of very competitive areas, but yours is one of them. And so a lot of people try to succeed there, and most fail. So what what did you do right? Well, I think, you know, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, the... Uh, you have to kind of understand our industry for, to, for, to understand my answer. And the, our industry, being the financial services industry, um, still to this day is very, very interested in your money. And they like to work with people and businesses that have a lot of it. And that's how they generate revenue, and that's how they pay their bills and they pay their distribution. And so many of them were not able to figure out how they could make money with small businesses while charging asset fees in retirement plans because brand new companies or small businesses with small plans, they don't have a lot of those assets. And um, so what what really worked for me was I, I, I basically, I remember I had this epiphany one Sunday morning in my living room with my whiteboard and I was modeling this and I said, you know, yes, the asset model is attractive, no doubt. That's why most of them are doing it this way. But it, how can I get into this market and serve the small end of the space without having an asset model? And basically, I just did some calculations and turned the model upside down and said, what if I was to do a flat fee for service model where a company would pay me a fair monthly fee to run their plan, regardless of if they have one dollar or a million dollars? And I don't really care what they invest in because I'm not going to broker or get sold on the investments or get paid to be selling the investment. So that's basically how we approached it. And then um so it's kind of like an all you can eat uh financial uh planning service for small businesses. Um we we don't necessarily do the financial planning for people and individuals, but what we do do is definitely help a, a company um install and run a successful retirement plan for themselves and their employees. Okay. And I think what resonated to answer the question, you know, why have they, has been appealing is because we've always been fair with our pricing. We've been transparent. We show them how the other guys are out there trying to, you know, either they're ignoring them or once you get a lot of money, how they kind of gouge you. And I think it also resonated that we are also a small business serving small business. You know, um, we'll end the year this year with about 80 employees. Um, so we're still, you know, a small business that serves small businesses. So, what were some of the greatest challenges during the first, uh, let's say, couple of years in business? You know, again, it's a very competitive field. What, 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 what did you do differently, and what were some of the big challenges? And have you, you know, yeah, uh, before I go around any more circles, what were some okay. of the big challenges <laughs> in the first couple of years? Well, um, I mean, first and foremost, it was just figuring out what we're doing. Um, you know, we were definitely blazing 
new territory. Uh, no one had done what we were about to do. So there wasn't a model that we could copy and do better. We were really were creating it from scratch. And so we just had to really just be smart and think about, you know, what would I want and what makes sense and what is logical and what tools are available to me. So that was the that was the first part. But really, the the day to day struggles and most of your audience will appreciate this is it's just that, you know, we, you don't have much capital. You don't have many resources. Um, you don't know what you don't know. You're having to scrap and put it together. You know, you're a limited number of people. I think in the first few in the first year or so, we were like six or seven people max. Um, and so everybody's doing everything. And uh, it, it's very, very challenging. And then as we start to grow past that, the challenges are uh, about just really trying to where do you put your, your resources? Where's the best return on your dollar? How do you stretch people thin and still, you know, be able to deliver a good product? And so I'd also like to add to that is that you got to remember the time frame in which we started. So we really came to market at the end of 2000. And uh, for those who are old enough to remember, you know, the first quarter of 2001 was the was the Internet dot com bubble bursting. And then um, six months later, we had September 11th. And then, you know, by 2002, we entered into a bit of a recession. So it was really a really difficult time to start a business. And we did everything we could to survive, um, including, you know, using credit cards and home equity and, and other things, because we knew that in the long term that this was something that was worth um, worth keeping going. Did you ever get close to shutting down or bankruptcy or anything like that during those years? Yeah, we, we got very close. Um, you know, we had we've been fortunate in uh, February of 2000. We raised a little bit of capital from an angel investor, uh, about 300,000. And so we really stretched that and that attracted other investors. But when all those things happened in, in the summer of 2001, uh, we were poised to raise another little bit of money, maybe a million dollars. And what they came to us and said was, well, well, you know, times are very strange right now. We're not so sure. We just want to hand over a million dollars. We, too, still believe in the business. So here's what we want you to do. We want you to get to cash flow positive within 12 months, come up with a plan to do so. We'll fund your monthly difference. Um, and then once you're cash flow positive, then you won't need us and you'll be in a much better spot. So that was probably, you know, the toughest love that anybody could give. But it sure did forge um, a good, solid foundation for us. And lo and behold, you know, from October of 01 to October of 02, um, you know, it was monthly, you know, maybe forty, fifty thousand dollars a month in some cases uh, short. They did fund it. And by October of 2002, uh, we were break even. And, and in all of 03, we were break even. So it was it, it was a tough time, but we did it. So what were some of the changes you had to make during that during that time period? A uh, reduction of salaries across the board, um, you know, renegotiate rent uh, with your landlord, um, work on payables with people. I mean, remember, it was a bad time for everybody. So I think it's always relative, you know, so everyone kind of understands. And, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I was the type of entrepreneur who I didn't I wasn't going to be the one who took my investors money and, and, and walked away from it. Um, and you know, we saw that happening all over San Francisco where people would raise all kinds of cash. And the first thing they do go out and buy and furnish a really fancy office space and not worry about their fundamentals of their business. And I don't know, something about me was very different. And I just I wasn't going to be that guy. So I really felt the personal obligation to, to ensure that my investors trust in me was worth it and that, you know, that their, their, their investment would be preserved. Did it change the way you do business? Uh, does it have an impact on your business today? the changes you made back then? You know, I think that's a very good question. And I would say, if anything, it taught us a lot of discipline, 
um, and, you know, not being, uh, I guess, uh, loose with the capital and making sure that you're very, very careful about where you spend the money. I remember um, once we got to break even and we were, I mean, this sounds silly now, but, um, you know, we didn't even have a photocopier type of machine in the office. And I remember when we were able to finally commit to a, a photocopier slash document management system so we could get a lot of, get rid of a lot of our paper. But even spending those few hundred dollars a month was really just felt like, uh, you know, it was a huge commitment. Um, so I think those that DNA was sort of set and it carries forward to our company and today. And it's allowed us to do a lot with um, very little resources and capital um, throughout the rest of its history. So how did you market your business uh, during the first uh, first couple of years, uh, especially when you started the online 401k? So uh, the first was we looked at um, other benefits types of providers where these businesses would be going to get them. And we knew that retirement was a very underserved area when it came to that. And so we partnered with um, several. Um, one that your audience might know is a company that's actually survived a long time as well called Trinet. Um, they're a professional employer organization. They were one of our first partners and they would refer their clients to us um, for their 401k needs. So that was a good pipeline for us. We began to replicate that with other distribution partners, benefits, payroll, uh, financial advisors. Um, and then I don't know what year it was, but uh, and this, this also sounds crazy to say, but there wasn't always Google pay-per-click. <laughs> there was um, there was a I can't remember the name of it now, but there was an, the early days of pay-per-click advertising. And we got into that and we said, oh, this is good. And, and you know, using the uh, paid advertising on what is now Google and, and something else that, um, again, I'm blanking on the name. I don't know if it was Ink Tummy or, or something. Um, Ink Tummy, uh, I think, uh, eventually bought the one that I'm thinking of. Oh, uh, yeah. But, yeah, so that, you know, we're like early entrance into that, and that started to drive a lot of business, and that was our direct channel um, before, you know, before it got too popular and it got too expensive. So it was just a lot of that, um, a lot of highly leveraged relationships and, and really just trying to um, build a little bit of a brand. So instead of going directly to the customer, you went through a partnership route mostly? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in fact, um, throughout the last 15 years, um, you know, I would say that we really reemerged as a strong company. We got in 2004 forward as we really, really started to the rubber started to hit the road. Um, but for the last 10 years, um, we have been nothing but a, a relationship driven business. We have not had a true direct to the consumer, to the business owner uh, presence. They'd always come through us through referral partnerships or they'd find us online. And uh, the reason I'm stressing that right now is because we are at a finally at a turning point in our company where we are changing that. Um, we're going to keep that existing model, but we are now finally where we have the revenue and the momentum and the technology to take a sales force to the streets. So you'll you'll start to see that happening for us real soon, and we're very excited about that. So what shape is that going to take? Uh, are you going to have just direct salespeople, or are you going to put on events? How, what additional... Uh, marketing channel will you introduce now? Yeah, I think direct salespeople, you know, we're fortunate in this case, um, we don't have to reinvent that wheel, you know, um, there or, or invent a wheel that didn't exist before because there are many organizations that have very successful in-person sales forces that, you know, cover the country. And so we're, we can model that. We can take our product and our, our business model and our different way of doing business to the consumers directly. Um, we know what the metrics are going to look like, and we feel pretty confident that that's going to be successful. I think that um, it is a little bit of a different approach. I mean, when you know, you're an online company, uh, for you to be coming to somebody directly is somewhat novel, but 
Um, I think the time is now because in our market, uh, one of the things I didn't mention to you was the statistics are frightening. Um, we, we work in primarily the under 50 employee market, um, but our specialty is the, those businesses with two to 20 employees. And the data shows um, that 92% of businesses with two to 20 employees do not offer any kind of workplace savings for their employees. And there's a lot of reasons why, but those numbers are, that's almost 4 million businesses, 40 million people. So we have a natural market that raises their hand and says, hey, maybe I'm interested in retirement. I should do something about it. But when you have 92% of them out there not realizing that they can have an affordable tax savings vehicle and a true benefit to their employees, we feel like that we're going to be very successful by introducing them to this concept. So how are you using uh, social media for marketing, if, if at all? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so what used to be our direct channel of pay-per-click, search engine optimization, et cetera, once the rest of the industry caught on and started outbidding us and, and our ROI kept dropping, um, I think it was probably 2008 or nine. we basically we abandoned that as our direct uh, effort. Um, in 2011, we hired a new director of marketing and creative, and one of the points of what she was here to do was to create more of a social presence as well as humanize our brand. We had gotten a little bit stuck in selling features and benefits, which I think a lot of people do. You know, in our space with retirement plans, they are complicated and there's a lot of jargon. But, you know, if I tell you that I'm doing your 5500 for you, that doesn't really mean anything to you. You know, it shouldn't mean anything to you. If, if I'm in this business, I should that should be a given. What I should really be doing is trying to connect with you on an emotional level and let you know that I'm like you and that we're really here to help and be the good guys. And so part of the humanizing of the brand was to engage our social channels. And that so that direct channel went from nothing, uh, contributing nothing to the business because we abandoned it, to today where it is contributing about 20% of our business again. And so I think that's a pretty good success story. And um, what that what comprises that is that we have internally a team of people that we call our Twitterazzi. And so there's you know seven or eight people who, there's one person who's responsible for it, but there's seven or eight people who help contribute to it. And we are, you know, we have a corporate presence, but also a personal presence on all the major platforms. So, you know, Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest, um, Reddit and a bunch of others where uh, we have that presence out there. And it actually does work. It does generate um, a lot of uh, exposure for us. Yeah, that's 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 great. Let's um, I read uh, about your revenue a little bit um, uh, online that uh, you had a one point two million in 2003 uh, and this year you have uh, 2014 forecasted to be a 12 million, mm -hmm. which is very impressive. Um, what is, and you know, it sounds like you know things have been you know fairly smooth, uh, right? And I'm sure you have made some mistakes, and maybe you can share one, um, one learning experience or a mistake with our audience that you mm -hmm. think would be beneficial for us to learn. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot, I was but say, I'm you know, sure maybe. I have more than one. But yeah, uh -huh. I mean, this uh, you do a lot of uh, introspection and reflection. Um, you know, over the years. And um, I think the the best advice that I could give or the, sh the experience I could share is that uh, as that entrepreneur, as the founder, as the someone who has the vision and um, in, in certain cases has the strategy uh, to see it through, uh, doesn't mean that you're always the one to execute. Um, so there's two parts to this. One is make sure and this, you know, it's a little bit cliche, but it's very true. Make sure that you surround yourself with people who can compliment you and don't be afraid to delegate. But the other part of that 
is what I've learned is that as that entrepreneur, you really have to trust your gut. You really have to trust your instinct. And where I've made mistakes is that, you know, I had my instinct and my gut telling me one thing, but then maybe logic and or others had a different opinions and sort of overrode that decision. And I went down that path. And I can tell you every time that that has happened, um, I have regretted it. And I wish I had just listened to myself in the first place because it wouldn't have happened. So uh, entrepreneurs sometimes, you know, feel, you know, they're looking at, we're looking at other businesses. And, you know, like, for example, in your business, somebody looks at your business, you know, wow, you know, he's making $12 million revenue. I'm never going to get there. It's, you know, you, people get discouraged or, or, or all that. So where do, who do you look to, uh, to, to get motivated for your business? And, and how, much, how much should you look outward as opposed to at your own business mm -hmm. so you're, you, you can keep your focus, but you also keep motivated at the same time? Yeah, no, I understand exactly. It's, a really, it's hard. You know, who, do you, who do you compare yourself to, right? That's always – and if you're comparing yourself to the Facebooks and the Microsofts and the Googles and Apples of the world, then guess what? None of us are ever going to get there. Those are sort of once-in-a-lifetime things for those people, and the odds are very, very rare. And that's one of the reasons we love small business, too, is because, you know, they're not all sexy. They're not all glamorous. But, man, you know, they take care of their, their founders' families, and they take care of their employees, and they help to fuel the economy and their community. And so I think that when you're looking for some sort of, you know, validation and or benchmarking, like you really just really need to look at um, those around you and, and say, you know, when, what is enough and when is enough. But there's a couple of resources that I really like that I've always drawn on over the years. Um, one of them is called Entrepreneurs Organization, EO, and um, it's, a, it's a global organization of about 10,000 members. Uh, the entrepreneurs, you know, you do have to qualify to be in, and then that qualification is a million dollars of revenue for your business at least. They do have starter programs to help people get in. But what it is, it's a peer group, and it's a peer group of people who are just like you, founders and CEOs, managers, who are facing the same struggles that you do with you know, personnel, with, with your own belief in yourself, with uh, market, with you know, a, variety of, a variety of everything. And um, they have uh, this infrastructure to support you with that. And it's not a networking group. You know, in fact, networking and solicitation is prohibited. So it's a, it's a really great group of folks um, who have instant brotherhood, instant camaraderie. Um, no matter where you go, you can find an EO member and, and you're going to click. So I definitely recommend folks looking into that. They have chapters in every major uh, metropolitan area and then some. And um, the other is um, Inc., the Inc. Conference, the Inc. 5000, Inc. 500 group. Um, you know, when I was early on as an entrepreneur, I used to read those magazines. There was Inc. and there was Entrepreneur. And they each had their subtle differences. And I felt like Entrepreneur was more focused on franchises and didn't really speak to me. And I felt like Inc. was um, something. But to your point, you know, will I ever be that sort of company? What will, you know, what, how does this help me? Well, you know, years of pushing and, and eventually um, attending some of these conferences and networking and it, it just sort of opened up a lot of things. Um, I'm happy to say that we've been on the Inc. 5000 list eight years in a row. Um, I think there's very few companies who've done that. And so it's just really about getting yourself out there and surrounding yourself with people who are going to positively support you um, and, and give you that sort of litmus test as to, you know, it's, maybe it's not easy, but you're sure, you're sure are moving forward. Great. So what do you think is the biggest time waster for entrepreneurs? So it, I'm glad you asked that because, um, you know, for the last five years or so, I've been actually looking at that myself and really just trying to get control of my schedule and figure out where my time is going and how can I be more efficient with it. 
And part of that answer is what I mentioned earlier, which is that you really need to surround yourself with good people who can compliment you and you have to trust them. And you need to do some of the hard work of making sure that the systems and, and policies and procedures are in place so that you're not always chasing fires. And so that those last five years of work have really been for me to um, challenge myself and challenge my team by adjusting my schedule and by putting myself off limits in some cases and by um, keeping myself out of things in some cases and really just trying to come up with a rhythm for my week. And most recently, in the last six months, uh, I came across an organization called Strategic Coach, and um, they are exactly about that, which is maximizing your time, making sure that your input gets the highest output. And they come up with a, a series of sort of ways of segmenting your time. And uh, they, the, in a very simple form, they call them buffer days, focus days, and free days. And so when you start to think about your life in that way and, and how you're spending it, um, then you kind of change your mind about, you know, it's not just about hours worked, it's about output. And um, when that when you get into that mindset, then things really become more of a game for you. And you say, how can I get in and get out and get it done? And how can I ensure that my team is operating like that, too? And so it's been a it's been an evolution. Uh, you have to be open minded to it. But I know that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs get caught in that trap of, you know, there's it's, I have to do everything. Um, you know, I don't there's no predictability. But um, my challenge to them would be to say, you know, there are ways to get control um, it's just a matter of wanting it bad enough and, and having the, finding the tools to help you do so. If uh, somebody in your family or maybe a good friend came to you uh, and saw your success as an entrepreneur and they said, you know, Chad, I want to be a successful entrepreneur, what would be the first thing that you would teach that person? Wow, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that. Um, like, what's the one thing that you need? they need to start with? Uh, I guess, well, I don't know. I was going to say a, a dose of reality, but then that would probably stop them from doing <laughs> what they wanted to do. <laughs> so I guess, you know, I think here's what it is. And I, I advise some entrepreneurs as well. And so this is what I think I told the last one. And basically, you know, if you have a clear vision, if you see it and you know it in your body, in your soul, that it is the right thing and it is doable and it's your passion and you want to follow it then by all means do so because the universe will have a way of, of showing things along the path that will continue to surprise you but also take care of you. And so you just have to have that leap of faith. You jump off the cliff and there will be something there to catch you. And I have done that so many times myself. And it, I, actually I call that sort of the entrepreneur's paradox too because once you get a little bit more successful, then you tend to not want to take those chances. But then you have to remember, like, if I hadn't taken those chances to begin with, then I wouldn't be where I am today. And so um, that's really the main thing. Just trust trust yourself. Uh, if you have the vision and you can see it and you know it's real and it's clear and it's your passion, that's the recipe right there. If it's not, you know, if you're doubting it, if you don't know why, if you don't have a strong belief, if you're, you know, you think, well, I'll try it. If it fails, it's okay. Then those cracks in the armor are almost going to be self-fulfilling. So, um, you know, if, you, if that vision isn't there for you, then don't necessarily pursue something that is um, not yours uh, and, and continue to work on it and wait for the one that is yours. Where do you see the online 401k five years from now? Do you plan that far ahead? or We do. In fact, I'm, I'm working on right now as we speak well, in this time period, not on this interview, <laughs> but um, <laughs> a, what's called a five-year growth plan and capital needs analysis. 
And so, you know, I'm fortunate that my company is now 15 years old. So I've, if you think about it that way, I've had three five-year cycles. And the first five were absolutely out of my control and unpredictable. The second five from 04 to 09, that's, um, things started to look better. And I, I had some idea about where we were going and, and I made some commitments and I was able to deliver that pretty good. From 09 to 14, um, remember 09 was difficult because we were in the middle of the recession. So again, a lot of uncertainty, but I said, well, here's where I think we can go and we'll do our best to get there. And so now here we are in 14. It's time for me to look out to 2019 and 20. And of course, there's going to be a lot of un uncertainty and unpredictability in the markets and in the, you know, in the economy. But at the end of the day, um, you know, what I have is what something that everybody needs. And, um, you know, I may, it's a matter, I think for us, we're in a fortunate spot that it's not a matter of will we grow and be successful? It's like, how much will we grow and how fast? So in looking forward, um, in the last, in the next five years, we're at a very interesting inflection point where I feel like that the momentum that we have, the infrastructure and the experience that we have in place internal with the hiring of the external sales force and increasing our um, relationships out there in the market. Plus, let's not forget that, again, what we have is something that everybody needs. And I think more and more awareness is being put on that issue of retirement savings. Then, you know, I see us really growing strong. Um, you know, I've kind of put out a goal internally for our company that says we want to hit 100 million in revenue in five years. And uh, we, you know, that sounds like lofty goal. And just what you had said earlier, like if you go from a million to 12 million, like, how do you do that? Well, going from 12 million to 100 million, how do you do that? I have a lot more clarity and certainty about how we can do that now. And it doesn't scare me. And I think that we're going to actually be on a pretty good trajectory to hit that. I hope you hit it. And uh, thank you very much, Chad, for coming on the Success Harbor to share your story. And I hope you come back in uh, maybe next year, in a few years, and report how, how your business is doing. I, would, I really appreciate your insight. Yeah, absolutely, George. Thank you for the opportunity. And, and congratulations on what you're doing. And, and uh, hopefully. And how can people find out more about the services that you offer or maybe connect with you? Sure. Um, the online 401k.com, so T-H-E-O-N-L-I-N-E 401k.com is our website. And me, um, you know, just search my name, Chad Parks, the online 401k. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much fill up the first page of Google <laughs> with you. Okay. Um, you know, LinkedIn um, and many other ways to get to me. So um, I'm happy to talk to anybody further if they'd like to. Thank you very much, Chad, and everybody check out the online 401k, and I wish you much success going forward in the next five years. Excellent. Thanks, George. Thank you. Bye.